Hi, I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. Welcome to Trust Me, I am a Decorator. I am Debbie Travis. Yes, you are, and I'm Tommy Smythe. And I have to say, I'm really looking forward to meeting this episode's special guest, especially because I'm here in Tuscany, Italy, with you, Debbie, and we're going to meet this guest in person. At her home. Such a huge thrill for me. But before we get to that, I just want to say thank you so much for all your messages. We've received them through Instagram and through our email address. But I just wanted to say, going through those questions... There was one thing that comes up over and over and over again, and that is how did you, Debbie Travis, actually end up coming to live here in Tuscany, Italy? Well, you have to blame it on Frances Mays. Now, she has become a friend, but many years ago in the late 90s, early 2000s, of course, I didn't know Frances, but I did know her book and I loved it. Mm. I loved it so much. It was moth-eaten. It had post-it notes in it. (laughs) So as I had two screaming kids, I would lie in bed, you know, like any young mum's And I would flip through this book, which for me was the ultimate dream, Mm. renovating a ruin, an old house in Tuscany. And, and, you know, I'd read things like um, how Francis found an old farmhouse sink in a field and then her newly restored kitchen. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to find a sink in a field. I want to get a tomato from my garden and slice it up and put my own olive oil on it uh, and make bruschetta. And I became a real fan. And um, when I actually did follow this dream and move here, the first person, I didn't know anybody. Mm -hmm. And the first person I managed to contact through literally looking her up, I called her. That's so ballsy. I know. I said, well, (laughs) why not? And I said, Francis, I don't have any friends. I don't know where to get my hair cut. I don't know where to buy kitchen tile. Or where the field is where you find your random (laughs) kitchen sinks. Yeah, where do you find kitchen sinks in the field? (laughs) And she basically said, come for a cup of coffee. And we've been friends ever since. So most people know her from... Under the Tuscan Sun, the book that she authored, but also from the movie. But she's done many poetry books. Yes. She's written countless other books. One of my favorites is a new book called A Place in the World. Mm -hmm. She's written every day in Tuscany. So if you're coming here, that is a brilliant book to have as a guide. And she's also written several novels. One of them is called Women in Sunlight. Mm -hmm. And that book, I know from a little... Little a little source. birdie told you? A little birdie told me, and I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but that book is going to be another big Hollywood blockbuster. That's incredible. Very excited. Yes. Um, and so with, you know, no more ado, shall we jump over to Cortona, mm-hmm. which is the last town in Tuscany where Francis lives at Bramasoli. And we're going to be discussing her new book, Pasta Veloce, Irresistibly Fast Recipes from Under the Tuscan Sun. So she just writes and writes and keeps doing it. The books are amazing. She is amazing. And I cannot wait to meet Francis Mays. We're sitting in Francis's dining room, which um, anybody who's ever seen the movie or read Francis's book, Under the Tuscan Sun, is walled in frescoes because this is where Francis literally took a bucket and washed the walls and the frescoes appeared many, many, many years ago. Hello, Francis Mays. Hello, Debbie. Hello. Um, I think we should mention Tommy is dying. (laughs) 
just being in this room, I am actually dying. So if you hear silence on this podcast, it is because I have passed away from excitement <laughs> about being in this room. Francis, thank you. So we're not thank here you. really to talk about Under the Tuscan Sun because you've probably talked about it until you're blue in the face. And one day Francis said to me years ago, she said, if I sit at another dinner and somebody says, what brought you here then? <laughs> you've answered that so many times. But you have a new book out, which you wrote in, in lockdown. Yes, during covid it gave me something really wonderful to do while I couldn't have anyone over. I couldn't go anywhere. And I actually had the idea to write a pasta book a long time ago. But other things came up and I wrote other books and I just kind of put that project aside. But during um, uh, COVID, my neighbor, Susan Weiler, and I were kind of a bubble with my husband, Ed. Mm-hmm. And she would bring things over and leave them at my house. We would have dinner together. And one night I was at her house and she served this lemon pistachio pasta. Mm. And I said, this is the best pasta I've ever had in my life. Um, She said, it takes five minutes to make. It's nothing. And my little wheels started turning. As they do. That night when I went home, I thought, get out that pasta outline I did so many years ago. So I called her the next morning and I said, this will be fun. Let's do this. So that's how it started. So the title of the book is Pasta Veloce. Pasta Veloce. What does that mean in English? Fast pasta. Ah, fast pasta. Which is what we all want today, right? Something fast and quick See, and delicious. usually think of Veloce with a Vespa or something, but this is uh, fast pasta. So um, irresistibly fast recipes from under the Tuscan sun. So um, it's all pasta. So I have a million pasta questions. And as we were driving over here from my place, Tommy and I were talking about pasta and I said, well, don't ask me this, ask Francis, because I think people think of pasta as pasta, mm-hmm. but there's so many different types of pasta, but they're, they're really designed around the sauce that you put on them. Is that correct? Uh, yes, uh, but I think pasta is one of the places where the Italian imagination just really comes to the fore. Otherwise, why would there be a pasta radiatore? which means radiator. I mean, (laughs) somebody must have been really cold when they decided to make a pasta in the shape of a radiator. Um, Wheels, pencils, um, anything you can think of, lilies, everything becomes a pasta shape. And one of the things I really wanted to do in here was widen the reader's, um, the cook's awareness of these different kinds of pasta. So, they're not just spaghettis and pennies and rigatonis in here. Mm-hmm. They're all kinds of pastas, like the gigli in the shape of the lily. There's one pasta in the shape of a chicken's esophagus. Okay. Um, I mean, really? <laughs> chicken's esophagus? A chicken's I mean, esophagus? Even though that's a chicken's esophagus, your throat. <laughs> yes, oh. but what's amazing about that is that even though that's a chicken's esophagus, that pasta could be vegan. <laughs> yes, it could. It could. <laughs> Orichetti, that's the little one in the shape of the ear. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you travel. Idea. The other thing about these shapes is um, I traveled to every single region of Italy when I wrote my last travel book, Always Italy. And so a lot of these pastas for me are so associated with place. The orichetti, the little ears, doesn't sound too appetizing, but in the shape of the little ear, there's an 
thumb indentation holds the sauce just beautifully. And that signifies Puglia to me. I may have nibbled on an ear or two. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Maybe. No, I could, I could be open but to I, it. But I love that idea that because pasta is, is um, a warm food, it's a, it's a friendly food, it's a, it, it, it brings up memories of, of, of where you were, where, where you, you had were, it. Yes. You, you know, I remember pasta where your mouth in Sicily turned purple uh-huh. because of the ink of the squid. The squid. But I also remember the best, pasta I once had and never had again was in Milan and I just met Hans and I was pregnant and didn't know and everything was revolting because I didn't know I was pregnant and everything tasted strange but we were in a restaurant and they brought to the table a huge paper bag I don't know if you've ever had this and it was blown up like a wax paper bag and the waiter came to the to the table And, you know, it was on a trolley type of thing, on a cart. And he opened it up. All the steam came out. And it was a spaghetti alla vongoli, like little shells, but cooked in the bag. bag. And I have never seen that since. I know. But but I can't even remember what it tasted like. But I'll always remember, because I remember going home and throwing up. (laughs) That was the pregnancy, not the pasta. And then going, getting a pregnancy test and going, okay, now I remember that. region has its you know specialty like where we are here in uh cortana it's peachy peachy let's say peachy here but you roll that out with your hands and it makes these long strands of the black pasta of the veneto you can't go to venice without having that black pasta that's the same color as the gondolas it's just a trophy over in the ligurian area it's this little twist of a pasta But it's uh, always served with green beans and potatoes. Wow. It's just the pasta of that area. Where did it come from? Strozzapretti, that's another wonderful shape. And it means um, priest strangler. Oh, okay. Because they used to... those ones. (laughs) (laughs) They used to invite the priest for Sunday lunch. And they wanted the priest to fill up on the pasta so he wouldn't eat much of the very expensive meat. Oh, my gosh. So this pasta is throat There's so many stories around the shapes, and it's it's just fun. I mean, who can forget those lemony pastas down on the Amalfi Coast? So every area, you know. It's yes. a story and every shape. But that's a good point that you said, because it, same in England, we, you know, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. The Yorkshire pudding was to fill you up so you didn't eat Isn't too much meat, meat which oh. was expensive. So, so pasta here, so I think, the, the, I mean, you're American, you're Canadian, and I'm British. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pasta for most of us is one course. You know, it's your main meal. Yes. But... In Italy, it's the prima, mm-hmm. right? So, or primo, mm-hmm. right? Primo. So, it, so it's there to fill you up because meat is expensive. Yes, and you would fill up on the on the starch, so you didn't eat so much. And and the, I think the other thing that is so interesting is is the portion when you do it like that. The portion is much smaller yes. because you don't need a massive plate. Mm-hmm. You just have a handful of pasta yes. or risotto, and that's it gets you awakened, ready for the mm-hmm. main course. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole symphony of the Italian dinner is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, the antipasti, the primo, the secondo, the dessert. And then after the dessert, of course, 
people linger at the table for after dinner drinks and yeah. walnuts and tangerines. Well, we've had some dinners. So one of the <laughs> we've had some <laughs> oh, dinners that start at midnight. So um, Francis run this amazing Tuscan Sun um, concert series, and we saw people like Jeremy Irons and just just amazing Anthony Hopkins, Robert Redford. I mean, amazing names. And um, and you know, you so you go to the theatre and see these people first, and then you all go off to vineyards or castles or monasteries for a dinner. And sometimes you're sitting there, and it's like it's quarter to 12 and I haven't eaten anything and then the meal would start and we would come back to Francis's house and you think you're going to die because you've eaten from midnight till three in the morning and then you do it all again the next night yes and it's amazing but it's, it's the festival you know the festival the, the 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 excitement it's not like sitting in front of the television watching eating your dinner you know well, going back to pasta in a bag with clams, which sounds like a bit of an advanced maneuver for a mm-hmm. home chef. Yes, it does. And what I love so much about this book, Francis, is that it is fast and easy recipes uh, that are so Anybody beautiful. Could do. Yes, and the photography in the book, um, for our listeners, you know, we're flipping through it here in the room, this beautiful fresco line dining room. The photography is so evocative, and it's not just a food but it's also of the life, life in Italy that's associated. Yes, we really wanted to show the food in context because they go together. You can't so possibly imagine having some of these pastas without memories if you've been to Italy, mm-hmm. I think. So if somebody at home um, is, um, is doing a recipe from the book, do you explain like the different types of pasta to go with the different types of sauce? Like, so if it's a more yes, delicate sauce. Yes, that was such fun. I mean, there's spaghetti in here, you know, there's penne, but uh, there's a whole lot of suggestion for these different shapes. And one thing we found out doing this during COVID was that we were ordering a lot of these shapes online and we kind of got into that and used to that. Because in most American grocery stores, there's a very limited selection of types of pasta. Yes. You go in a supermarket here or even a small market, there's a wall, <laughs> a, a line, you know, just a huge number with the little bitty pastas for the babies, the little stars, the little alphabets, and, you know, just the whole, the whole range of pastas. And it's such fun just to go in a huge supermarket and take a video of all these pastas. It's kind of like the potato chip aisle in yeah, America. Exactly. Grocery stores, you know. Oh, what a sad I'm so I'm always amazed to go back to America after being here and go in a city block size supermarket and mm-hmm. go down the potato chip aisle. All right. So that that leads me to a question again we were discover, discussing on the on the drive over here. So you know, everybody who comes to Italy goes home and says, oh, a tomato doesn't taste like a tomato. And when I read Under the Tuscan Sun, you described going to your auto, your garden, your, your kitchen garden, picking a tomato, slicing it up, putting a little bit of olive oil on, putting it on some toast. You've got bruschetta. And I did it. So I went down to my fridge, got my supermarket tomato, put it on a piece of soggy toast. And it was like... It's not the same thing. So the mate, when people come as guests to us, we, we talk about it's the Italians eat in season. 
So they eat. So we're not eating a lot of tomatoes now because it's not mm-hmm. tomato season. Um, we eat beans in bean season and it can get frustrating, can't it? You can't find mushrooms, really good mushrooms until the fall. So, so it's about buying f- really fresh um, and if you can in season. So what could you tell people at home who are maybe have got the book, who are saying, right, I'm going to make this recipe. What do we look for in, a, in a, you know, an ordinary supermarket when we're buying fresh vegetables and, and things? Oh, you're right. The ingredients, the quality of the ingredients is everything. We're so lucky because now there are farmer's markets everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's something, you know, in the past 20 years that's just exploded. And in our area in the South, and I think in lots of places, they operate all winter. They bring what they have. Yeah. So um, I think the quality of the things you can buy is best if you can raise it yourself or get it at a farmer's market. Mm. But a lot of markets now have really good mm. produce. And you don't and have a lot to... of them don't. A lot of them, you know, you go in and get some wilted little piece of carrot. You know? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. So little try and you go to farmer's markets because you don't need a lot. You know, for a pasta sauce, you might only need one pepper. Yes. You know, I mean, how much is one pepper? You don't have to buy a Costco yes. huge bag of stuff. Yes. Um, so, uh, again, if you're going to a farmer's market, it's pretty much in season as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? And don't be afraid. Okay, so it's only potatoes this season. Then, you know, maybe yeah. potato dish. Another great thing about cooking pasta is it's very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, a really nice bag of pasta feeds six people easily, and it doesn't cost very much at all. So I really love the fact that Italian cuisine, which I think is probably the most popular cuisine in the world. I mean, you go to any place you're traveling and there's an Italian restaurant. Always. There's not a restaurant from Belgium. There's not one from Iceland. You know, there There's so many countries you go to and you eat well, but hasn't become a world favorite. Yeah. Whereas Italian food has, and it's astonishing because the roots of Italian food, cucina povera, the poor kitchen, mm-hmm. what people made when they didn't have anything to That's speak of. That's my kitchen, the poor kitchen. <laughs> the poor kitchen. <laughs> but it's too from time to time. Yeah. But uh, in those times, the Italians were so brilliant. They're so innovative with getting things from the land. That has endured even now. As we're sitting here, there are people out there looking right now for wild asparagus. It's the thinnest little stuff. It's it's like a piece of yarn. Uh, The green almonds are coming out now. They are crunchy. You eat the whole thing. People are looking for borage and nettles to make risotto or to make ravioli with nettles. Um, Mushrooms, of course, they've always hunted for mushrooms and Mm -hmm. People will just fight you if you try to get to their special place where they pick their mushrooms and Don't chestnuts, mushroom, chestnut <laughs> flower, wild rosemary, wild mint. Everything is out there on the land, all these wild greens. Mm-hmm. And that tradition of cucina povera when there was nothing, they made it. Mm-hmm. They opened the cupboard and they took out that little bit of sausage that was left and a little bit of rosemary and a little bit of whatever and 
those innovations were the basis of this cuisine that became the most popular. Yeah, when we first came here, I was flabbergasted by people in the hedgerows. And, and, you know, first of all, you think, oh, they must be really poor. You know, and you'll see, you know, one old man holding the, the arm of his wife as she's hanging over a yes. to cut the, 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 the skinny asparagus and stuff. And then you realise we see them all the time. And then yeah. we started doing it. And when you walk the land, you can smell the mint. Mm-hmm. You can smell the oregano. You can, you can smell the wild fennel everywhere. And we'll be doing that. You know, this week, you know, because we've got guests coming and we take oh, them, you take on, them the, foraging. on the foraging. It's amazing. And there's a new foraging restaurant near us. Uh-huh. So they take you out, they show you what to look for, uh-huh. and then they make a salad or, or vegetables or whatever it is. But it, it's nothing to do really with you can't afford to buy it from a supermarket. It's you're getting the highest nutrients you can possibly have. They are coming from that hedgerow. And foraging groups now are growing all over the world. I know. Even but in usually, cities. You know, usually it's. A- I'm going for ramps or fiddle ferns or something. Mm -hmm. It's not survival, but it always has been the Mm -hmm. tradition of of survival. And I think it's one reason that the Italians have stayed so at home in time, because they've stayed really connected with the land. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast. That's right. Find us at thecashkidpodcast.com or listen in on places like Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or YouTube. We have people coming here from, you know, like photographer from Rome or somebody interviewing me from Milano. Before I know it, they're out picking a lemon or they're looking on the ground for mint. They're still really city people even as soon as they get out, you know, they're really still connected with the land. It's almost like a human instinct. Yes, it is an old, old instinct. And I think it is really why... The most astonishing thing to me about living here is how at home in time people feel. Mm-hmm. They don't have that. What time is it? I can't do Can we meet in three weeks or you no know, making arrangements, not being spontaneous? Mm-hmm. There's still that sense of spontaneity here. And, and then we tried to get this sense into the cookbook that it should be spontaneous. It should be fun. It should be fast. Yeah. yeah. And you once said something really interesting. 
nobody ever sits down to a meal in Italy and goes, I wonder how many calories are in this. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because people are terrified of pasta. And today in the paper, they're talking about, actually, it's the healthiest diet. Yeah. You know, because first of all, you don't eat a lot of stuff because it fills you. And then all the good stuff goes in it. Yes. Well, the olive oil. The olive oil. Every recipe in here probably has... A good bit of olive oil. You grow your own, we grow our own. And it's the greatest gift you can have to your kitchen is a really good olive oil. Mm-hmm. It's also the thing you have to be totally beware, buyer beware, because there's so much corrupted olive oil. Oh, yeah. Yes, but- and we've had those discussions before on our Instagram lives. But that brings me to a really... Um, a question that, that's at the top of my mind, Francis, which is really about how I think that fast cooking, like easy recipes, actually are really only easy if you have a proper pantry. Mm-hmm. And the olive oil is really the backbone, mm-hmm. the anchor element of the Italian pantry. But what else is essential for home cooks who are enjoying your book to kind of have on hand? I like to have like 15 different kinds of pasta mm-hmm. so I can have fun with the wheels, the little ruote or whatever, whatever I grab. I always have that. Well, we do so much other kinds of cooking. Our pantry is pretty stuffed with preserved lemons. Oh, yes. And all kinds of lentils and uh, semolina flowers. Mm-hmm. Flowers, very important, particularly if you're making your own pasta. These pastas are all dry pastas because they're fast. Mm -hmm. But if you're making your own pasta, which is great fun, um, the flour is the quality of freshness of the flour Mm -hmm. is really important. Good salts. Salt is one of the things I talk about in this book a lot because most people don't know that the way you cook the pasta itself is part of the sauce as well as for cooking the pasta. <laughs> the water, abundant water for the pasta, you put in a lot of salt. Most people I know uh, in the United States put in like a teaspoon, teaspoon. No, you want three really? tablespoons. At so least. You want like sea water almost. Not quite that, Briny, <laughs> but, but getting there because that pasta is going in the water and the starch on the pasta is becoming part of your sauce. So the salt is going into the pasta. It's also staying in the water. And we'll be putting a cup or half a cup or even a cup of half, cup and a half, depending on the recipe. So that pasta water, I always used to think, well, it's just to moisten it a bit. Yeah. No, it's part of the sauce. Okay. It's creating the emulsion. The, uh, it's, bringing the the, it's bringing the sauce together. Okay, so there's so, science to this. Definitely. And you think, me. what is simpler than just cooking a pot of pasta, but you really need to salt it. Okay. Is it any special type of salt? Of course, pasta? salt. Um, of course, yeah. I can't tell that much difference with uh, fine salt and coarse salt, but some people say that if it's iodized salt, it has kind of metallic taste. Mm. But I can't have And so in your pantry, so um, I love Tommy's vision of everybody's pantry. So it's ready to go because pasta is ready to go. You've got a yes. big family. You have to be able to grab every mother. Let's just say, but you know, we all got a bit tired of what well, we did in our house, same old 
spaghetti bolognese spaghetti, for night. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so in our pantry, we should have a good salt. We should have good quality olive oil. What about um, like tin tomatoes? All um, kinds of tomato okay? products. All kinds. Yeah. Sun-dried tomatoes. I'd never buy the ones that are in oil because mm. I'm very particular about oil and I don't think they're in good oil. Yeah. So I buy the dried sun-dried tomatoes and put them in a jar with my own good oil. Great tip. And that just, they revivify. Um, Good Sicilian tomato paste is a Mm. gift. It's um, And I think you can get that in most supermarkets. There are a lot of good canned tomatoes. Yeah. We depend on those a lot in the winter. But here we put up our tomatoes. We have not that many left from last year, but we get about 60 jars of tomatoes. Mm. That you dry yourselves mm-hmm. so that you can go through the winter. How do you dry yeah. them? Where would you dry no, them? No, we put them, in, put them up in jars. Oh, in jars, yeah. yeah. But not dried, just... No, we don't. I've wanted to go to Sicily and learn how to do that. Yeah, I, I'll go with you. Okay. I'd <laughs> love to do that. Because I, I, I was drying something... I think it might have been tomatoes, and I found this huge rock, and I sliced up all the tomatoes, laid them all over the rock, came out the next day, and somebody brushed them all away, or somebody <laughs> eaten them, and gone. And I was like, so I was never sure how do you dry them. You know, you obviously want to put them in the sun, like they, you know, yeah, you put them out on trays or screens. Yeah, we dry fennel. Screens. There's a lot of wild fennel around yeah. here, and that's one thing people will break their ankles for to reach across mm. the ditch to get yeah. the, the uh, fennel flowers, the fennel pollen. Mm. Um, the wild fennel is not the kind you eat. It doesn't have the kind of bulb you eat. The cultivated, but it has great flowers, right? The yellow yeah, flowers. The, the flowers are so, so good. You put it on fish or, yeah. or in pasta. Yeah, yeah. it's really fun. So we put those up. We dry those on screens outside. Mm. And but it's so much fun to do these things if you have the time. I think it's nice to build, a, have a cupboard, which is your pasta cupboard. You know, it doesn't have to be a whole pantry. We have that. You have that. Yes, we do. And, and my pantry is so important because, you know, a fast recipe isn't a fast recipe if you have to run to the stores to get four different right. things from two different right. places. And so preparedness in cooking is everything, mise en place and all Yes, absolutely. We say in here, these recipes are fast. And one of the reasons they're fast is that you get out everything first. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to go run for the garlic and then go run for this. Get everything out first. You're ready to go. All right. The last question. Okay. Very important. <laughs> Al dente. Because I'm pretty good at al dente pasta. Somebody I know is not, and it's always soggy and mushy. (laughs) So so how do you time it? I mean, do you stand over the pot? like? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You just have to keep tasting. Should you see, if it was spaghetti, should you see that little white dot in the middle? I don't. You don't? You just do it by taste? Yeah. Well, I don't know exactly. You mean that little... It's the last bit of dryness. Yes. Yeah. I thought if that you're you... in the south, yes. Okay. In Sicily, in the south, they cook their pasta much less than they do in other places. It's crunchy. But like here, it's al dente, of course. You don't want mushy pasta, but... Um, so if south, I'm throwing it at the cupboard and if it sticks, then it's done. That's not the way to do it. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Yeah, that's a good okay. point. I now also I have a lot of chocolate in my pa- pantry, lots of different... Of chocolate, mm-hmm. but chocolate I think pasta. having a pasta, you know, pasta section 
for your uh, pantry just makes everything a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And you can also make sauces ahead of time, freeze them. I mean, sauces freeze so well, you know, so that it's, it is a quick meal. I mean, we you boil do. the water, you put the sauce in a pan. And, you know. Yeah, we do a few tricks like cooking in a very big, like an 11, 12-inch skillet on high heat. Mm-hmm. That's fast. It seals in the flavors. That's what chefs do. Mm-hmm. So we le- we learned a lot doing trying to you know get these down to really fast recipes. So what would you say, like five ten minutes for a recipe? Well, we say by the time the pasta water comes to a boil and you cook the pasta, your sauce is ready and you're ready to go. Another fast. thing we do in here is. We usually mix the pasta in with the sauce. We don't put the sauce on the plate and put the pasta on. Uh, um, the pasta on the plate, put the sauce on top. Mm. Okay. But that's a marriage breaker because we <laughs> have, you know, when you've got, you've got the movie ready, you've got the dinner, and the other day we had the biggest row because Hans did what you do and put it all in together, and I could not breathe. I want my sauce on the top. Oh, my gosh. Patrick is the <laughs> Like same. a moron. Yes, Patrick right. layers. So my partner will put some pasta in the bottom of the bowl, then some uh-huh. sauce, then some more pasta, mm-hmm. then some sauce. Yeah. So everybody has their peculiarities so in the what? kitchen. Pasta. Well, Francis, congratulations on yet Thank you. Another, another book. Thank you. Um, Tommy and I are both going to prepare a dish yes we are um but before we do i want to ask you and this is such a dumb question but i have to ask because i really want to know do you have a favorite recipe in this book that's your absolute favorite i have about 10 favorites that first thing that started us off the lemon pistachio pasta Mm -hmm. is pretty darn good pistachio or pistachio so I use the Italian pronunciation. Okay, so, so in America we call it pistachio, right? pistachio, yeah. right? Just, for the listeners, it's a good important. Well, I just thought another nut that I'd never heard I of. I just forget the other name for it for some reason. And did you have to I peel did. them all, or do you get them? On, no, you can buy them you can already. Buy them down. Yeah. Should, another one that's really fun in here is the bacon, lettuce, and tomato pasta. Oh, that's interesting. Is that such an American thing, BLT? It's such a favorite sandwich. But the, the, uh, the lettuce part is arugula, ah. and, you know, really good bacon and tomato. They cook lettuce so a lot here, don't and they? And the bacon would be probably prosciutto or something well, like that. You can use any kind. We use um, here. We use different kind than at home, but at home we just use you know great hickory bacon. Mm-hmm. So that's the great thing about a pasta dish: is throw everything in that you've got. You know, oh, let me tell you one more thing. This is my favorite part of the book is the last chapter is pestos. Oh, I mm. love pesto. And you know everybody knows the basil pesto, Mm -hmm. the Genovese pesto, and we have that in here. But we invented these pestos, and they are so good. One of them is a kale pesto. Okay. And one that I came up with that I love is a citrus pesto. Mm -hmm. And there's the um, toasted almond and roasted red pepper pestos, Mm. smoky almond mint pesto. Oh, my gosh. They're so good. And... They're fabulous for pasta, but they're also good if you mix a little mascarpone or a little cream cheese, Mm -hmm. then it's a nice dip, nice spread for crackers. Or sandwich spread. You can use pesto in sandwich making. Yes, so good. Fabulous. Yes. And on grilled chicken, grilled whatever. (laughs) Grilled fish. Mm, I am so hungry. (laughs) So, Debbie, maybe what we should do is you and I should both make lemon pasta, and then we'll see whose is better. Okay. Okay. 
and oh, really? a little, little cook I, 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 I think I, I need to judge this competition. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deal. The next time we're here, Debbie and I will bring our pastas and you will judge. Francis. Yeah, you'll come up and judge. I always terrified when Francis comes over for dinner. That no, it be good. No. <laughs> Francis, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Such a pleasure. You know, one of the most incredibly inspiring aspects of that visit was after our chat, I got a private tour of Bramasoli. And what was so amazing about that is, you know, in Francis's dining room, we all know about the <gasps> famous frescoes because that was a part of the book, such a huge part of the restoration of the house. And then again, memorable scenes in the movie revealing those frescoes. And we actually sat, you can see the pictures on our Instagram site. We actually sat in that dining room. But do, do you know what a fresco actually means? Well, you know, I'm not going to tell the woman who launched the painted house what certain <laughs> kinds of painting are. So why don't you tell me, Debbie okay. Travis? So, so the reason that, that, that frescoes can be, can be discovered centuries later is because it's not just a painting on a wall of mm-hmm. a scene. They painted in wet plaster. So basically they, they put wet plaster, and they still do it today, fresco, mm-hmm. meaning fresh, mm. fresca. They put the tints of the, all the different colours of the paint into the wet plaster on the wall. And so it's permanent. Mm. So as the generations uh, moved in and changed, you know, decor as they do over the years, and they painted over the top, when you remove that top layer of paint, the fresco is still there. So if it was just painted on the wall, it's gone forever if it was changed. But as as a fresco, it's sunk into the wall, into the plaster. So when in the book and in the movie, she's scrubbing the wall this plain white washed wall, Mm -hmm. suddenly these images reveal themselves. And I think that's what makes it so fabulous. Uh, But of course, you can do your own frescoes just with normal paint, but a real fresco is painted in plaster. Amazing. And you know, when we, Patrick and my partner and I got the tour, and some people know Patrick is an interiors photographer, Francis allowed him to take some photos of the interiors of the house, which we will share on our Instagram, the Trust Me Pod. Did you see the bed? We did see the bed and something else really special. You know, Francis and Ed had been renovating um, a little bit and rearranging a couple of rooms and in doing so actually revealed on the second level of the house more frescoes and i said to her you know this is really (laughs) but she was showing me how the house continues to reveal itself 30 some odd years later to her and i said you know francis that's your house loving you back because to be in this home with these people who live there is to be in an environment that is just so warm and so welcoming. It is the essence of hospitality. But the bed, the Rotheim bed, after the movie was made, mm-hmm. you know, big Hollywood film, and that was the scene where Diane Lane is holding onto the bed going, I did it, I did it, yes. I did it, after she did it. After she did it. Um, and um, it was such a beautiful scene, it especially was. for women to watch. Um, joyful. Yeah, really joyful. And they gave her the bed. So it's... Francis has that bed in the house. I know. Because um, it was a prop. It was a Hollywood prop. And I've slept in that bed because it's her guest room. <laughs> I didn't do it, but I have slept in the That's bed. That's amazing. Anyway, so the book is 
fantastic. Yes, so if you book. love pasta, there's every recipe that you've mm. never heard of before. So tonight you are going to cook one recipe and I'm going to cook another. So what are you going to cook? What did you I'm choose? I'm cooking her lemon pistachio linguine. This is a very easily veganized recipe that I'm going to make and share with Patrick. It is so delicious looking. And what Francis said, and just to repeat from the interview, is you can make it in as much time as it takes to boil the pasta. I mean, mm. come on. Well, that's what it is. Irresistibly fast, fast. recipes. That's what it means. And, pasta veloce. Fast pasta. And I am going to make uh, penne and vodka. <laughs> okay. I think I might just do the vodka. Um, no so, penne. Just the vodka. <laughs> just the vodka, yeah. Hold the penne, hold the pasta, <laughs> and I'll just take the vodka. So it's pasta in vodka. It sounds amazing to me. Mm -hmm. um, so... Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Debbie, for introducing me to your special friend. She is absolutely beyond inspiring. Well, you'll find more information about Frances Mays and her new book, Pasta Veloci, and all her many works in the episode notes. Yes, and we'd love to remind you to subscribe wherever you're listening so that you know when we have a new episode. And follow us on Instagram, too, at the Trust Me Pod for photos and more from behind the scenes. Yep, the Trust Me Pod. Um, see you next time, Tommy. Yeah, until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.